0: Acts chapter 1, listen to the word of the Lord. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he essentially says what? (laughs) That's above your pay grade, and that's not your assignment. Look at your assignment. Do your assignment. So many of Jesus, this is the word of the Lord, so many of Jesus' parables were about the kingdom being given to the disciples while the, while the master or the owner of the farm or the king of the kingdom or the owner of the business goes away for a time and they are left in charge. The disciples are left in charge of the work, of the farm, of the ministry, of the message. And then after a while, the king or the master or the owner of the business comes back And we give an account, the disciples give an account for what we did while he was away. And essentially, Jesus, post-resurrection, talks to his disciples about the exact same thing he's been training them for three years for. For three years, he's been getting them ready for this moment. Some of us think that when he was on earth, that was the big deal. He thinks... Once he goes and sits down at the right hand of the Father, that's the big deal. He thinks now is the big deal. Jesus thinks right now is the big deal. Because we are living in the time in between when the king goes away and entrusts us the kingdom. And when he returns and we give an account for what we did. If we don't take responsibility for the kingdom, he'll still hold us responsible. If we don't take initiative and be self-motivated and take charge of carrying this gospel, he'll still hold us accountable. Because that's what he's invited us into and that's what he's commanded us to do. So for 40 more days post-resurrection, he talks about the same thing he was already been talking about, the kingdom of God. Here's a very short version of the kingdom of God message. Planet Earth is not as God intended. In the beginning, God made the earth full of a capacity to produce life. But that life is disorderly. That life is chaotic. So he set Adam and Eve in a small corner of the creation and said, it's your job to bring order to this chaos. It is your job to express authority over the creation so that it looks the way I intended. And as you multiply and spread and fill the earth, Eden will grow until Eden covers the earth. That was the original vision. Humans ruling over the creation under the rulership of God, so that God's authority on earth was expressed through humans in right relationship with God. Jesus came as the one in right relationship. And so he restores the creation back under the rightful rule of people in right relationship with God. So he commands the storm and it obeys. He commands demons and they submit. He commands sicknesses and they submit. He calls lost sons and daughters of the father back home to plug them back into the source of love and, 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 and comfort and hope and meaning and purpose and identity they were made for. We were made for. He came to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19:10. He said, I'm here, and because I'm here, the kingdom is here. Things are going back the way God intended from the beginning, at least in this tiny corner of the world, because I'm here. Now what I need is for you to abide in me, and then we will abide in the Father, and we'll expand and extend the kingdom. You'll do what I've been doing. You'll command nature and it'll obey. You'll have fellowship with the Father like I have. The Father himself loves you. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll be the ones extending the invitation for people to come home and reconnect to the Father. And God's will will be done on earth for a change. Because, how many of you know, God's will is is rarely done on earth. Even in the lives of so-called saints. Most of what happens in the world is not God's will. Making peace with that is very helpful. Trying to pretend that almost everything that happens on planet Earth is God's will, somehow, mysteriously, it's going to make God into a monster in your mind. A big, powerful, completely in control, moral monster. But if God looks just like Jesus... Then he's not okay with what's happening on planet Earth. And he came to take authority over stuff that went wrong and to bring it into alignment with God's will. That's called the kingdom of God breaking into earth. And so Jesus again says, Guys, guys, for three years I've trained you, now I've got 40 more days. And he talked to them relentlessly about the kingdom again and again and again. And their assignment to bring the kingdom, their assignment to do what he has been doing for three years in front of them and with them and alongside of them. And he says, don't go yet because you need to wait. You can't just go bring this kingdom through human effort. You can't just go bring this kingdom through principles. You can't just go bring this kingdom through a right theology. You need something more. don't start. After three years, he says, don't start, but go wait, go pray. Go slow down and pray. Back up, slow down, hold still. There's so much work to be done that you need to back up, slow down, and hold still. Martin Luther used to say that he's so busy that he, he can't even start in on his, on his to-do list without spending the first three hours of the day in prayer. He's just too swamped. He's so overwhelmed with things to do in order to be able to do them, he needs to take three hours and start with prayer. Is that counterintuitive? So Jesus says, the whole world is lost. I want you to go over there and just sit still. For 10 days. And then, then what's going to happen is I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water for repentance. Your body got clean. You put yourself in a posture of emptiness and receiving. That's what John could do. John could help you empty yourself. What he couldn't do is make you a new person. Only Jesus can do this. So then we fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and it says, they were all together in one place, praying in an upper room. And while they were praying, a sound. You want me to find it, the exact verse, so you know I'm not lying? When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, verse 2 of Acts chapter 2, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound. It, It says this the only thing you can compare it to, have you ever been in a tornado? Have you ever been in 70 mile an hour winds? Have you ever been in a hurricane? There was no wind, guys, but the best they know how to compare it to, there was a sound and the sound filled the house. Now, in the ancient world, man, they didn't have rock concerts going on at 130 decibels. They didn't have jet engines. By the way, turn down the music just a smidge, like in your car, just a little. Uh, Your grandkids want to hear, you want to be able to hear your grandkids when you're old. And if you're a musician, why? Why are we doing this to ourselves? I don't even go to concerts anymore. Next time I go to a concert, I'm going to put in my little orange earbuds. Like, you're, con- you're not that important that I should lose my hearing over you. But anyway, this sound wasn't wind. There was no wind. The leaves of the Bible didn't move, right? Nothing was disheveled. But it was the best they knew to compare it to was the loudest sound they'd ever heard in their lives. They had nothing else to compare it to except the loudest sound that, they, that, that was available in an ancient world context. A hurricane, a tornado, a mighty wind that fires on all frequencies, the high-pitched whistle, the mid-range roar, the low rumble, all at the same time. That'll get your attention real quick, won't it? When you feel it all in your, in your, in your bones, your sternum is shaking, a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house. It doesn't say they all fell down on their faces. Would you? Friends, there's a modern message about God that imagines that that the message of the gospel is that you're an incredible, special being, and there's a wonderful, friendly guy in heaven who just thinks you're awesome. And if you sin this week, no big deal. He just loves to show you grace. But then the real Jesus shows up and people fall on the ground like they're dead. And they shake in fear. Because they realize this whole thing they've been believing is man-made imagination. And in the face of the reality, they are undone. We are undone. We've been playing with God. We haven't been dealing with reality. The real God, when He shows up, nobody's standing. Some people are like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. Then it says something else happened. There was a sound, not wind, but the best they could compare it to is wind. Then it says something else. There was a sight, there was a sound, there was a sight. God likes sights and sounds. God is an experiential God. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm fine if nobody believes in me. I'm just going to be quiet and silent and absent. And whoever wants to believe in me, I'm going to make it as though I don't exist. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God a lot of people believe in, by the way. I had a professor in college say, I don't want experiences with God. I don't want encounters with God. I'm content with my nice, quiet faith. That guy was one of the smartest guys that I remember. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard said. I love that man. He, is, he helped me so much. He taught me so much. But he didn't teach me a hunger for God's presence. I had that from Jesus. And I could see right through, oh, this guy's got some issues to work through. Anyone who doesn't want to encounter God, something's wrong with that heart. You taste and you see that the Lord is good. It gives you a taste for more. I I want Jesus to not meet me in my bedroom and talk to me. I don't need any of that. I just want a nice, quiet faith. Man, it's the encounter that changes us. So, something else shows up. Verse 3, divided tongues as... Uh, fire it doesn't say fire, but what what is God's power and presence that that emanates and it has a visual element and it's like you can see it, you can see the energy of God's presence physically. It shows up physically, and the only thing they know to compare it to is fire. And individual they call them tongues, but they're not actually tongues. It's not like God was licking them. Sorry to be funny, but individual. Uh, Hands, tongues, flames of not fire, but something like fire that doesn't burn you, but when it came upon them, power came into them, and the next thing that happened is something had to come out of them. And they start to speak. What do they speak? But what do they speak about? That's right, languages they've never learned, naturally, that says... Suddenly they were in the upper room, but now they're not. Now they're out in the street. And every one of them is loud, declaring the mighty, saving works of God. That, by the way, that's half of worship. The first half of worship is declaring to each other the things God has done. The second half is declaring to God who he is. Isn't that interesting? So the spirit comes on them and whoosh, suddenly they're in what I call the first half of worship. Did you know evangelism and worship go together really, really well? So they're proclaiming in a spirit of worship of they they can't help themselves. They just have to say what God has done. And they happen to now know how to talk languages they've never learned. And so then, of course, it draws a crowd, and the crowd comes together, and they go, what in the world is going on here? What does this mean? And Peter says, I'll tell you what it means. It means Jesus is Lord. Y'all murdered him. God raised him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and now he's the one pouring out this, what you're seeing. So let's unpack that just briefly. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's been rejected by, by the Jews as the Messiah. He's not the one we want. He's not fulfilled our expectations. We don't want him anymore. But the Father has accepted him. They've handed him over to the Gentiles and murdered him. But God raised him up and vindicated him. Right? So it's, he's proven to be Lord by what's happening in front of you. That's how, that's how Peter understands it. Pentecost is proof that Jesus is Lord. And then it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? He's chilling, he's resting, he just has needed a break, his feet hurt. When a judge enters the room, somebody says what? All rise. All rise. The court is now in session. Then what happens? There's a gavel, and the moment that gavel strikes, we know that the judge is sitting in authority over this court. So Jesus doesn't sit down because he's done. He sits down because he is beginning to reign as king, as judge, as Messiah. And the first thing he does when he sits down to reign victorious is the spirit he, I'm going to say this word and maybe it's wrong, the spirit he earned by being the only one, the only one who was found worthy to open the scroll. Do you remember this? Book of Revelation. A half hour of silence in heaven. John is weeping because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. A half hour of dramatic silence meant to let us feel the tension of our lostness that none of us None of us is who we have been made to be. None of us is how we ought to be. Every one of us has gone wrong. Who will help? Can anyone? No one found worthy? And forward steps Jesus. And because he shed his blood, because he gave his life, because he did what no one else could do or would do, both, eternal worship belongs to Jesus. Because by His blood, He's redeemed people for God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's why He receives the Spirit from the Father. He's the high priest. He's the slain lamb. He's both. And because the sacrifice is fully accepted and He sits in authority and begins to reign, He is received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He does what John can't do. John, all, all John can do is baptize us with water, a self-emptying, a getting ready. That's what John's ministry was. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. He came to get us ready to receive Jesus. All we can do under John's ministry is self-empty. We can prepare ourselves to change. We can't change. We can't grow. We can't make ourselves a new person. We you can turn the fans on if you want. Sometimes people don't turn the fans on because. Tim's like, oh, you can hear it in the recording. But if you get hot, it's okay. I learned something from the Haitians yesterday. You're allowed to just make everything super loud and not care about the details quite as much as Tim does. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says, here's what it means, because they go, what does it mean? It means Jesus is Lord. Stop it. Do it. Stop. No. Don't do it. It means Jesus is Lord, it means Jesus is raised, it means Jesus is reigning and and it means Jesus is saving everyone who calls on his name. Everyone who calls on his name. It means the new co- see this is like fast forward just like, at the very end I'm just fast forwarding a little bit. It means a new covenant. No longer, no longer a bunch of rules. No longer a bunch of structures and systems. You're no longer ruled by letters on a page applied. You're no longer ruled by biblical principles. Now this spirit comes to rest and actually set us free from the power of sin. All this could do is restrain us so that we manage our sin till we die. But now that Jesus is baptizing with the Holy Spirit, he's killing the power of sin, and we actually live we're restored to Genesis 2 again. We're face-to-face with God. The, the Holy of Holies is no longer blocked. The access has been granted, and you become the temple. Like I said, I'm, tr- I'm going really fast here at the, at the very tail end of this. And so they say, what the heck do we do? And he says, repent. Do you know what repent means? It's a lot more than an apology. It's possible for you to cry, big old tears, be real sincere, beg forgiveness, and not repent. You know how we know? You keep doing it over and over. Repent means to change your mind. Not just be sorry, not just apologize, but change the foundational beliefs and attitudes that underlie the behavior. So first thing, repent. Switch over, completely switch. Believe Jesus instead of what you've been doing. Believing in Jesus is the other half of repentance. Stop the operating system that's been operating. Flip over to trusting Jesus instead. Get down in the water and get baptized. And then every one of you is going to get hands laid on and and baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what he says. That's that's Peter's Pentecost sermon. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Get down in the water. Get baptized. And get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's go time. It's green light. Now the assignment is on us. Now what Jesus did in the Gospels, we're we're to do in daily life. Now you have the power that Jesus operated by in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for three years. Now it's in disciples, and now the kingdom's being entrusted to disciples while Jesus goes away on a journey and comes back when? I like the I don't know answer that came. Everyone else gave good answers too, by the way. When he's ready, when the the kingdom has come, when when earth looks like heaven, good answers. But I really like the I don't know answer. He specifically told us we're not going to know. So, right? So what's the point of his parables? Prediction? Preparation. We have a calling. We have a calling. We have work to do. And nobody's going to make us do it. God's not going to micromanage his people. He leaves it in our hands and says, I trust you. Become the people I know you can be. Go. And then he comes back and he finds one of the servants, right? He entrusts to three servants. Matthew 25, he entrusts to three different servants different amounts of responsibility based on their ability. So he's not giving them more than they can handle. He's given them what he knows they can handle. And two are faithful and one just buries it just sits on it, just says, I'm saved, that's good enough. Friends, it's extremely important that we have a growth mindset. Just phoning it in, bro, I don't know what you're expecting Judgment Day to be like, but I expect it to be unsettling. The bright light of reality is going to shine on what did I do in the short time I'm on planet Earth? All the crap we care about that isn't Jesus doesn't matter. Did I know him? Did I walk close with him? And did I give him away? Everything freely received, freely give. Freely received, freely give. I've said so many weird excuses to the Lord over the years. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to do that. I don't have a mentor. Yeah, but you know what we bit be- All these excuses. Instead of asking the right question, which is, Lord, how can, I, how can I keep moving forward? What can I learn from this? Okay, go ahead and uh, get up. I'm going to be making my rounds just praying for people. It's Pentecost, so it doesn't make sense not to pray over people. Oh, man, I'm trying to think about how, how I can do this better. Um, humans have mirror nu- ne- neurons in our brains. Do you know what that means, mirror neurons? So little kids, when they watch adults do stuff, they, they can feel it and they can actually copy it and learn it because of the mirror neurons. If you see somebody get hurt, You know the pain you feel in your body in the same part of your body that they got hurt? Those are mirror neurons firing. Like when I saw Victor Oladipo break his leg a few years back playing basketball, I was like, oh, no, I can't, my leg, help. You know what I'm talking about? And I've noticed something that when I watch somebody minister by the spirit, my mirror neurons are firing like crazy. It's like, okay, yes, I, I don't know if I'm making sense. You learn how to tie your shoes by watching someone tie their shoes, step by step. So I I wonder if we could actually say a benediction, have the prayer team come right up here, but I'm going to leave the mic on, and I want to go around and pray for people with the mic on and whoever's interested in just sort of dilly-dallying for a little bit longer and letting their mirror neurons go, that's how Tim does it, that's interesting. I could modify that, I could minister by the Spirit, not maybe like Tim, but like me, but kind of like that. Are we good? Okay, benediction. Holy Spirit, we bless Gateway in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that our hearts would know your love. I pray, God, for more. Holy Spirit, more. Increase, God. Increase your presence. Increase your power in our lives. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to walk with a light spirit, like our overseer, Mark, says. We want to walk with a light spirit. Spirit, we want to trust you, Jesus, and walk with a light spirit, not carry stuff, but let you carry stuff. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you guys? Okay, Holy Spirit, even more, even more, even more. God, I ask that you'd bless Dale. The rest of you are free to go, but you're also free to stay. I bless Dale in Jesus' name. More, more, God, more. Continue to teach him, God, teach him, train him, give him new tools. Give him new tools. Give him new tools. Tools to, to repair things that he's like, I've never repaired that before. And I'm not talking in the physical. This is metaphorical. So tools to, to tackle problems that he's like, I've never, I don't even feel up to tackling that problem. I, I, I wouldn't even want to have to tackle that problem. That doesn't sound like something I can handle. But in Jesus' name, I pray for tools to tackle problems that in the past he would have not even wanted to, to handle. He would have just said, nope, I'm out. God, thank you for Michelle. I ask you to bless her, fill her. Continue to guide her, God. Continue to guide her in her friendships. To Continue to support her heart to navigate the complexity of friendships. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Two marks, huh? Jesus, thank you for Mark. I ask you to fill him with, give him songs. Give him grace. Give him strength. Give him encouragement. Encourage his heart. Encourage his heart. Let him be someone who knows how to encourage Heidi. Not fix it, not repair it, just encourage. Give him grace to know how to do that. Sometimes that's really hard to know how to do. It's really easy to carry other people close to, our, to us, their stress. And I almost want them to, you know, just be better, quicker, faster. Be encouraged, be healthier, better, faster. And so I ask in Jesus' name that he let her be at her own pace and, and teach him how to be no pressure encourager in Jesus' name. God bless this Mark. Fill him afresh, God. Continue to teach him and remind him of who he is. 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 Whoop! did I kick something? I ask God in Jesus' name that the lessons that he's learned in the past, you would remind him. that he wouldn't have to relearn them again. That they would just be, they would just come back. Lessons he's already learned in the past would come back to him in Jesus' name. Old truths would get dusted off, washed off. and They'd come back. In Jesus' name. I see like a, uh, like a box full of old treasures and they're being pulled out and they're covered in grime and dust and, and dirt from just sitting too long and they're just being dusted off and they're being polished off and they work just like they did. They work just like they did. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mr. Truett, I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, even more for Jacob. In Jesus' name, give him grace. Pray for encouragement to his spirit. You got surgery coming up. Yes, yeah, so in Jesus' name, we pray for this back surgery to go well. We pray for comfort and peace. We pray, God, for the surgeons to be guided by your spirit. We know all healings from you, Lord. Supernatural healing, natural healing, scientific healing, it's all from you, God, because you're the healer. That's what you're, that's what you're about. The breakthrough in the technology comes from you because you're a good father and you provide for everyone, not just those who believe in you. So we pray in Jesus' name that the surgeons, whether they know you or not, would, that their hands would be guided by you. We pray for the nerve, to no longer fire with pain. We pray for strength for Jacob's back in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I pray for you? You going to be specific?